Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome to Wide Left Sports. Today, I am joined by former MSUB soccer coach and now an assistant soccer coach at Villanova, Alex Balog. How are you doing? I'm doing all right, Mitch. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. So, you know, what kind of grew your love of soccer, football? What kind of grew your love for that sport? Well, I'm from Belgium originally, Mitch, and so soccer, football is by far our biggest sport in Belgium as it is in, in Europe, all over the world. And so, you know, if people in my family played, my dad played, my granddad played, my uncles played, and so I wanted to follow in their footsteps, you know, they would go to the games, training sessions, all I wanted to do was be there with them, and my uncle uh, was, was a goalkeeper, and I would go see him or watch him play with my granddad. And again, there was nothing, there was really nothing else I wanted to do more than, than go than go do that and also try to be him because he was my first role model. And so that's how I rolled into it. Um, you know, I played for a, for a smaller local club at first, and then um, I was able to, I was fortunate enough to move on to a bigger club. Um, still in Belgium, from Belgium, I went to, I went and played in, in Greece for a little bit, in England, in Hungary, and then uh, by by accident, I kind of ended up uh, in the U.S., in in, uh, in, te- in Tennessee, in Memphis, where I played college soccer at Christian Brothers University, and that's also where I discovered my passion for coaching. I had an awesome uh, head coach there in Clint Brown. He really, you know, he was very, very passionate about what he did, and um, that's where I got my first coaching experience on the women's side. Then I went back to Belgium for uh, for a brief amount of time, and I came back. I uh, went to Montgomery, Alabama, where I coached under Wolf Koch at Auburn University, Montgomery, at the NAIA level uh, level for two years. And then, you know, it was across the country, off to uh, off to Montana, uh, where Dan McNally gave me a shot as his assistant coach. Um, I I worked with him for two years, learned a lot. Then he moved on to. Uh, University of Cincinnati and then ultimately FC Cincinnati where he helped establish the club and I became the head coach and I was there for six years as the head coach and then again by accident you know chance is such an important thing in life I ran into coach Carlin when I was recruiting in Iceland and and he told me about an opening uh, on his staff at Villanova and that's where I've been since so um, you know li- li- quick little summary about my uh, coaching and playing career. That's so awesome so you know you mentioned in your playing career that you played in quite a few different spots in Europe. And uh, I guess my first question is, what is it like to, you know, really immerse yourself in all those different cultures that you're playing in while you're there? Great growing experience. Cause I left Belgium, I think when I was 18 or 19, 19 years old. Um, and I went to Greece and I went to a small little town in the, in the Southern Crete, the Island of Crete, where not a lot of people spoke English or speak English. And so I had to learn Greek and had to, you know, get accustomed to, different sets of customs, different food, different climate, just a different way uh, way of life and, and of doing things. Awesome, awesome experience. And I would say that that's kind of been 
a theme throughout my life, you know, trying trying out different places, seeing how things are, are done in a different way in other parts of the world. And I'm very, very blessed to have had parents who were supportive uh, in those endeavors, you know, because if they wouldn't have been okay letting a, a young 19-year-old who, who knew nothing about nothing, um, you know, go to a different part of Europe, none of this would have happened. Uh, because that's also where, where I... I had no idea, you know, that, that college soccer is a thing. It's very unique. You only have it in Canada and the U.S. And so I ran into, you know, on a cold January uh, evening, I ran into a couple of Boston, out of Boston, and they told me, you know, about college soccer or, or college sports. And that kind of planted a seed in my brain that it was something that I would like to give a go at some point. That's awesome. So then um, when you did come over stateside, how different was it from, you know, Europe for you to – Make the adjustment. <laughs> Man, Mitch. So, you know, I'm flying from Brussels to Chicago. And from Chicago, I'm supposed to fly uh, to Memphis. And the, the flight got canceled. And so I'm stuck in the airport in Chicago for a long, long time. And there's a storm going on. And out of the goodness of her heart, this lady, and this is a long time ago, but I'll probably remember it forever. Out of the goodness of her heart offers her seat because preseason was starting the next day. And, you know, I, I, I was talking to her and out of the goodness of her heart, she offered her seat uh, to me. Wow. And so, you know, that's not something that would happen very quickly in Belgium, I think. And so then, you know, I get out of the um, ultimate, in the end, I flew from Chicago to Little Rock and, and Clint Brown, my coach uh, at CBU drove all the way from, uh, from Memphis to, to Little Rock to pick me up. And I get out of the, out of the airport and the cars are bigger. The roads are bigger. The buildings are bigger. The sodas, you know, are bigger. Everything was just so much bigger. And so it took me a little while to adapt to that. The climate in Memphis, you know, humid, really, really hot during summertime. Um, that took me a little while to adapt to. <laughs> but, you know, it was a massive culture shock. But I think that my my experiences prior helped me prepare for that a little bit because otherwise the learning curve would have been even steeper. For sure. So then, you know, I kind of want to talk a little bit about your playing days, obviously. What were just some highlights of your playing career? Oh, I mean, again, just the, just the mere fact that I was able to get a taste of what soccer is experienced uh, like in, in all those different countries. I mean, you know, very, very passionate all around, all around Europe. Uh, people are about the game, but I would say, you know, making my first team uh, debut uh, when I was 18 years old, there was, you know, something that I had been working towards for a long, long time. Um, and then playing in front of, you know, larger crowds, you know, I, I, I was involved in some very interesting situations, you know, especially in Greece, because, you know, I was, it was, uh, I was playing at the third division level there and, and <laughs> some, some very interesting situations with referees chased into, chased into the mountains, you know, after games. Oh and, yeah. Um, and it, you know, in hindsight, you know, at the, in that moment in time, they weren't necessarily highlights, but when, when, you know, when I look back, they made my career so much more interesting, you know, getting, getting a, a taste of what, uh, getting a taste of what soccer is like in England, you know, uh, where, where people breathe it on a, on a, on a daily basis. That was really, really nice. Um, but also I would say the understanding from, you know, when you're a youth player, make making your debut for the first team and understanding what it's like to, to finally start playing with adults, you know, that are 30, 35 years old, you know, whose yeah. paycheck depends on or depend on, on, you know, the outcome of a game. And, you know, soccer at that point in time was still right up to that was very, you know, it was fun, you know, training almost every day, 
but then once you know it, it matters a little bit more for 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 the people around you it, it changed and and i was okay with that i was okay with that um so yeah it, it, I, I wouldn't say i wouldn't say i you know i can't give you three highlights or five highlights i think <laughs> no if i look back it's it's a, it's a bunch of different things that's awesome that that means it was a good career that's for sure <laughs> Yeah, although I would have I would have liked it to go on a little bit longer because I think there's nothing better than playing. But, you know, I, I'm two knee surgeries in. So, you know, it was time for sure. So then you did go into coaching and I guess, you know, what kind of well, one, I want to know what brought you to Montana State Billings, because I think that would be a cool story. But um, anyways, what first got you into coaching and like what was your first, you know, or how did you first get your first job in coaching? I guess what I want to ask. <laughs> Well, so up until up until when I when I came to the US and started to play college soccer, the coaching that I had, had been exposed to was very business like, you know. I relay information to you, you got to execute. And if you, and if you don't at some point, you know, somebody else is going to step in to fill to fill your role. Right. And when I when I came to CBU to Christian Brothers University again, uh Clint Brown became my coach and the personal connection between a player and coach is something that I had, you know, hadn't really experienced that. And with him, he started to care more about me as a person than, than as a, than as a, than as a goalkeeper, because I was a goalkeeper. And that made me see that it's, that it was possible to do it differently, you know, in a different way. And um, that made me think, you know, maybe I want to try this, you know, maybe I want to be able to to have such an impact on, on people around me as he is having, uh, and I was I was fortunate enough at Christian Brothers University after my after my senior year uh, to to become a volunteer goalkeeper coach on the women's side. So that was my first experience uh, coaching on the women's side. The, the women at CB used to have a really really good team, won two national championships. I, I you know wow. when I joined the, the the staff, you know they were it was you know they were going down a little bit. Um, but I think that that experience, you know, losing a lot of games, conceding a lot of goals, being in part responsible for that also, you know, in that moment in time, I thought, well, it can only get better from here. So why not, you know, why not keep trying this? And right. so that was my first job and that's how I rolled into it. That's awesome for sure. So, um, you know, you mentioned you coach at the NAIA level, obviously um, MSUB is D2. What are the different skill levels that you saw in those levels it was very interesting because after cbu i went home i went back to belgium for a little bit and then i came back um and aum auburn montgomery that at the time was competing at the naia level was a very very good program you know final four national championships but national championship games they never actually won it um but extremely international i think we had a squad of 27 players 28 players and less than a handful of them were americans Wow. A lot of a lot of Germans, Brazilians, Icelandics, a couple of guys, actually more than a couple of guys were older than, than I was. So you had all these players that played that had played at very high levels. And then, you know, they needed less coaching than anywhere else I've been because they were so experienced already. I mean, we had guys that were in their 30s because the eligibility rules obviously were different or are different yeah. at the NBA level. They had very, very good playing backgrounds. So from from a coaching perspective, it was probably, you know, more more important to, to manage the personalities than, you know, to run a session and say, all right, this is what we got to do. We're going to go from A to B to C to D. 
We're going to work on tactics because these guys, you know, it, it didn't really matter who you put them up against. They were able to, to figure it out as the game went on anyway. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, making a transition to a, you know, better than average division two program in Montana state billings, you know, in, in, in a state that is perceived as not being a soccer hot, but in, yes, of course, you know, when you compare it to California or when you compare it to Florida, sure. You know, the, the, the state doesn't produce as many, college and, and professional soccer players, but I still think there's good soccer uh, played there. It was, again, a little bit of a culture shock, also in terms of the weather, you know. Uh, <laughs> the, the winters were a little more <laughs> hard to get through. Just a little. <laughs> uh, just a little. But relying more on local talent uh, and being much more conscious about the scholarships that we would offer out to international players became, you know, became much more important because at Auburn Montgomery, you know, NAIA, there was, there's a limit of, there's a cap on what you can offer to players, but you know, there were always ways around it, to be honest with you, Mitch. And then, you know, at the, at the NCAA level, you've got to do things by the book a lot more. Not that we don't get me wrong. Not that we were, you know, bending the rules or cheating, um, right. you know, at AUM, but it was, a, it was a very different experience where, you know, I thought that coach McNally ran a really tight ship um, and did a good job at that. And, you know, winningest, winningest head coach in the history of the program. For sure. For sure. So, you know, um, I'm going to get a little bit into recruiting because obviously you say it's a very worldwide sport. And I know that just from the players at MSUB, how hard is it to recruit when you're not just recruiting in your backyard, you're recruiting across the world. Well, I always, you know, as you know, MSUB is a state school, and so I always saw it as my my first responsibility to check out the talent um, within within the state, and then go from there. You know, Idaho, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oregon, Washington, California, Arizona, Colorado. So those were the places where we looked second after looking at Montana first, and then we tried to complement that squad with international players that we really got from everywhere. And I was fortunate enough to create connections with recruiting agencies and with coaches and with clubs kind of all around the world. So I would go, you know, go recruit in Iceland, in Australia, in Peru, in in Guatemala, um, you know, a bunch of different uh, European countries. And what we were looking for for MSUB in those international players were guys that were a little bit older, a little bit more experienced, that preferably had played men's football men's soccer already so they would know what it was what it was like to, to get knocked around so they could come in and help the coaching staff you know relay all that information to the rest of the american players and i and i felt that especially after you know as of 2014 we started to get to a really good mix of guys a good balance also um, in, in our player personnel and with that our results got better also for sure so you know, our personal connection between the two, and I want to thank him for getting you on, is Reese Flambert. And uh, you mentioned before we came on that he was one of your favorite people to recruit. So tell me a little bit about why and what his recruiting story was like that got him to MSUB. Well, Reese was playing at a really high level uh, in, in Australia and, and was doing really well there. And I think that he was kind of on the brink of, you know, either signing professionally or, you know, or not, and then pursuing a degree. And you know, at that time, I don't think he knew he was going to come. Uh, he was going to come to the U.S. It's, it's through a mutual uh, acquaintance of ours that he also figured out that that was an option for him. And um, Reese had a lot of Division One interest, and 
Um, you know, I, I had the, my habit also was at that time to, when I was looking at internationals to, to try to recruit internationals that were being, um, you know, courted by division one programs. And I kind of planted a seed uh, during a call with, with, with Reese about Montana state university billings. And we started to email back and forth and something that I didn't know until when he had gotten to Montana state billings was that one of the things that made him decide to come to billings was the fact that I would reply to him at 3 AM, you know, he would email me and, you know, I didn't have my phone on silent. So I would hear while I was sleeping that, you know, an email would come in and I would reply to him right away. So he'd send me an email and two minutes later or five minutes later, he had a reply. And so the fact that he felt really wanted was, uh, was a big element uh, for him or, a, you know, something that helped him make a decision in our favor. And so Reese, you know, showed up and had a really good freshman year, hit the ground running. I think he also struggled a little bit with that, you know, with that Montana heat. Um, yeah. You know, in, in, in early August, but he had a really good freshman year, maneuvered himself into, you know, being a captain uh, and just a, a, an all around great person, you know, would roll his sleeves up in training, would get the job done in the classroom, would treat people the right way, as you know yourself, you know, yeah. uh, firsthand. And that kind of radiated, you know, that 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 vibe that 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 he had. Um, I think it kind of it kind of radiated and started to touch other people's lives. You know, right around that time, we brought Sebastian Easton onto the program, who was a little boy who was struggling with cancer in Billings. Mm -hmm. That kind of changed our program as well, because all of a sudden, you know, you had these twenty-two to twenty-four, twenty-five-year-old guys who thought they were the center of the universe, but there was this little six-year-old boy running around who was fighting cancer. And so I think we did a couple of things right at the right time to to, to move our program into uh, into a different direction and propel it to a different level as well. But Reese was an integral part of that. For sure. So I I wanted to bring up Sebastian, but I could not for the life of me remember his name. So I didn't want to do that without remembering his name. So thank you for bringing him up because I wanted to bring up what you guys did there. I thought that was very neat and just what kind of brought that on and how did it become as, I guess, big of a thing for the program as it did? So we got, we got in touch with Sebastian um, through team impact and team impact is, is, um, is an organization in the U S that connects uh, sports programs with, with, you know, children who, who have, you know, something going on in their lives. And Mandy, Sebastian's mom played volleyball at MSUB. Uh, and so I met with her. We discussed how we run the program, how we could see Sebastian fit into that. And it was like a match made in heaven, Mitch. It was unbelievable. You know, we would we would go visit the whole team. We would go visit Sebastian, um, you know, at Billings Clinic in the hospital while he was having his treatments. We would go to team dinners at their house. He would come to training almost every day, wouldn't miss a home game, you know. And it went on. Normally, these these, you know, these connections, these matches are for two years. And, mm -hmm. you know, one, year one went by, year two went by, year three went by, year four went by, year five went by. And so I'm still in touch with Sebastian, who now is, you know, he's turning into a young man, but I'm still friends with him. Um, I'm still friends with his with his with his parents. And, I, and a lot of our guys are still in touch with that family, because in the end, it wasn't just Sebastian who made a massive impact on our on our program. It was his whole family, you mm -hmm. know, it was the mom, the dad, the brother, the sister, Sebastian himself, of course. And the fact that they were, you know, that they were okay, just kind of handing him over to us. Because I remember the first day when, when, uh, when he joined us, we were sitting, it was after training, we we're sitting in the circle. Reese had, uh, had gotten Sebastian a couple of gifts. 
And so his mom, Mandy, stayed on the side. She made um, she made Sebastian join us. And from that moment, she always would take this kind of, you know, she would be there sometimes, but not always. Sometimes she'd drop him off at training, go run around with the boys, and I'm going to go do groceries. And so, you know, that that shows that showed us that there was a lot of trust in us. And and I think that we reciprocated that. I think, you know, we we yeah, we treated we treated him as one of our own. That's so awesome. And I mean, like I said, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and I've been in, in and out of the hospital a lot. And I just think it's so cool that your team, you know, really brought a kid in that obviously was going through hell and treated him, you know, amazing and just brought him to be part of the team. I think that that's so cool. You know, it was, it was, um, like I said, when we start to talk about, um, when we start to talk about, um, Sebastian, the impact that we made on, on his life, I think is, you know, is undeniable, but on the flip side, the impact that one little boy made on the lives of 30 other people was also undeniable because right. you start to see things from a, from a different perspective. You know, you don't think that it's your God-given right to step on the field anymore because there is somebody who's got a bigger, much bigger fight to fight than, you know, am I going to play a whole game today? Is coach going to sub me off? You know, so th that perspective that we all collectively gain through his presence is something that, you know, I think guys are going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. For sure, for sure. So I asked the same question with your playing career, but – uh what are some highlights from your MSUB years as a coach? Well, I can say now looking back that um, what we did on the field result wise was, you know, it was good. There were some, some down years. There were some years where, where I thought we were pretty good, but at the same, you know, what happens between the lines stays, stays there. I think that getting guys in from all over the world and helping, you know, them create relationships with, you know, with people from Montana, people from California. I mean, right. You know, yesterday, Sam Butterworth got married. Um, Sam was, was our starting left back for four years. One of his South African teammates was there. Garrett Robinson from Everett, Washington was there. Um, Tom Saltwell from England was at his wedding. Dara, um, Dara was there from, from Australia. So these guys still keep meeting up. You know, um, same thing with some of our European guys. They'll they'll meet up in France or in Germany or somewhere in Scandinavia. Um, a couple of American boys will join. And so the fact that Montana State University Billings brought them together, that Chris Demonaghi or AD at the time gave us the platform to do to do that and to run the program that way. That I think is is the greatest highlight uh, of of my eight years in Billings. You know, the, yes, you know we beat every team in in the GNAC. We hadn't beat Simon Fraser University, yet, who was a massive powerhouse out of um, out of Canada. We you know we we ruined spoiled Western Washington's um, opening of their new stadium and beat them one zero and had a you know great party in the locker room afterwards. Um, I mean that th those are big highlights. They're on the field, though. Again, what we achieved off the field with that group of guys, graduating guys that otherwise never would have gotten a college degree, that, you know, that is, I think, what, what I'm the most grateful for. For sure. So, you know, I had one more question. You were mentioning all these guys from around the world, and obviously football is a big melting pot of cultures. How do you mesh all those guys together to make a cohesive unit? I mean, Mitch – once you're on the field, it, it, soccer becomes a universal language, you know, and, and it brings people together. And 
I think from there on out, it's so easy to create relationships. Yes, you know, when you're, you know, 25, 30 guys together, not everybody's always going to be best friends. But it brings you together. It makes you want to work together. And once, you know, once that's been established that you have this common goal, it starts to happen really quickly because we did bring in guys over the years at MSUB that didn't speak very good English, you know, when they joined. But once they were done with their careers, they would be, they would, and they, they, gotten the, they, they had gotten their degrees, they would be fluent. And I think there is no better place to learn life skills than, you know, than through sports. And same thing goes with a language. I mean, I learned Greek you know, by going by, you know, by going to Greece and, and having no other option. If I want to communicate with you and you don't speak English, well, all right, then we've got to figure it out. Right. And, you know, you take a step towards me, I take a step towards you. And that, that, that's how that happened. And when you take a step back and especially when you remove yourself from it, as, as I have done, it's awesome to see that it's awesome to watch those processes develop and to see those relationships develop. Because at the end of the day, again, winning, losing, Yes, you know, I, I hate, I'm a sore loser. Um, I love to win. But the human element, the human aspect of it all is so much more important. For sure. So now, you know, I see the V on your sweatshirt there for Villanova. And you've gotten the chance to jump up to the D1 level and be the assistant coach of Villanova. So how did that happen? And, you know, what has that experience been like? So in the early in the early spring of 2019, I uh, I was recruiting in Iceland, and uh, I found myself uh, speaking with Coach Tom Carlin, the current head coach at Villanova, and he told me, "Oh, you know, it's possible that we're going to have an opening in our staff here in the next couple of uh, couple of weeks or months." And so, um, you know, I said, "Let's stay in touch." And then one of his assistants moved on, um, and I uh, I reached out to him again. He said, "Yeah, sure, apply. You know, um, the skill set that you've got." Is something that is really interesting to us, and we were we were able to to make it work. It was you know it was a very very it was very difficult to leave MSUB behind. Um, I remember that we played um, a Wyoming junior college, and that after the game, I I let the team know that I was moving on. There were lots of tears all around, you know, for me in the first place. Um, but it was also the right the right decision for me because. Um, you know, my wife had had a tough time finding a job. Um, she's in in in, in marketing in uh, in billings, and so moving to the East Coast made it a lot easier for her to to start or to continue developing her career as well. And at the same time, I wanted to, you know, like I told you, I'm a competitor, uh, and I wanted yeah. to measure myself at the highest possible level. So, you know, when you compare Division One to Division Two, there's a lot of players that have come through MSCB that I think could compete for for Villanova. The difference is going to be the depth of the roster. Um, you know, this is going to be the stadiums that you play in the overall level, the level of intensity, the um, the pressure. I would also say it's a lot less forgiving. And so, um, although there are some elements that are the same, um, you know, you, you, I would say that our players at Villanova also feel that um, their 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 experience being Division One college, uh, you know, collegiate student athletes is. Um, a lot more intense than than what it would be if they were playing Division Two, um, mm-hmm. and and that intensity translates itself in, into a bunch of different things. But you know, you're training every day, sometimes twice a day. Your travel is grueling because you know we got to go play Creighton, which is our farthest trip. Actually, last year we traveled to California, so it's coast to coast. You're missing class time, more right. class time than you you otherwise would miss at MSUB. So, like I said, um, those are just a couple of of examples of the difference uh, in intensity. But again, at the same time. 
there's more than a handful of MSUB players that could have played for Villanova or for, you know, most other division one programs for that matter. For sure. I just think it's so cool that you've literally, I mean, throughout your career, you've coached at every level. <laughs> the only, the only, uh, the only, well, the only two levels I haven't been yet when it comes to college, uh, college athletics is division three and, and Juco who knows. True. That is true. Who knows. Yeah, but no, still, it's it's so awesome that you you know you did the NAIA and now Division Two and Division One, and I just think it's so cool. I uh, I want to thank you for your time today, and thank you for coming on and sharing your story and sharing your love for the Yellow Jackets. Being a Yellow Jacket student myself, I love that. So, uh, yeah, and continued success at Villanova. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot, Mitch. Thanks for doing this. I think it's it's awesome that you're trying to put Montana sports in the picture. I think we need more of that because, you know, underrated, undervalued sometimes even. So we need we need more people that show what's going on in the state in terms of not and honestly, not just soccer, athletics in general, because there are some unbelievable athletes that come out of out of that beautiful, beautiful state that I miss very much. Well, thank you so much, Alex, for those words. And Definitely, I will do my best. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thanks for the time, Mitch. I appreciate it. Yes, have a great rest of your Memorial Day. Thank you. You as well. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Mitch here with Wide Left Sports. And do I have a company I would love to highlight for you? It's called Big Sky Customs. They make lifelike figurines of your playing days, which I think is awesome because every single person, once they're done with their playing days, they miss it. And um, how cool would it be to have a lifelike figurine to commemorate that? And, I mean, Rob goes down to the very minute details about it. It's awesome. And the best part is it's out of Montana. Um, so, yeah, if you want to get one ordered, just go to his Facebook page, Big Sky Customs and start a conversation with him about it. And hopefully you enjoy your lifelike figurine from Big Sky Customs.